This is the Energizing India podcast. Welcome to the Energizing India podcast. Charge times, battery safety and affordability are crucial big rocks that stand in the path of faster adoption of electric vehicles globally. In this episode, we engage with a remarkable company in India that is endeavoring to address these challenges in a unique way. Today, we speak with Dr. Akshay Singhal, co-founder and CEO of Log9 Materials, who has an honors in materials engineering from the IIT Roorkee and is also a Forbes Under 30 Asia honoree. Log9 was founded in 2015 and in this time has amassed 35 industry-defining patents that attest to the organization's first principle thinking. Log9 Materials is able to offer batteries that can be charged nine times faster, that can last nine times longer, and offer nine times higher performance and safety. Akshay Singhal, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me over. Akshay, I'm interested about this letter nine. You're nine times faster, nine times longer, and nine times higher in performance. What gives with this number nine? I think nine is a great number, uh, numerologically, but that's not where it came from. So uh, if you look at our genesis at Log9, uh, we were a medical science company, a technology company to start with. And uh, nano is 10 to minus nine meters and uh, logarithmic nine. So that's where nine came around and it has stuck with us and uh, in many ways. Uh, so I think that's that's how nine times better is the approach everywhere. Excellent. Love that answer, Akshay. Um, your, let's talk about your initial journey and how you arrived at the problems that you're trying to solve. You, you know, those are the three times, the, the nine times problems, the nine times faster, nine times longer <laughs> and nine times higher performance. How did you zero in on this particular problem to address? So when we started uh, back in 2015, right, uh, batteries and uh, energy storage was something which was not even on the horizon of the company. Uh, we started primarily uh, solving one simple uh, gap, which is that in our technology or in our materials research is not something which happens in India. And uh, we set out to kind of solve for that and develop that capability within the country. Uh, and as we went around uh, developing new types of carbon nanomaterials, uh, we started to look at applications and uh, the inclination was to look at environmental applications. So tried a bunch of different things from air filtration, water filtration, spill containment to batteries. And if you go really deep down into the climate problem, right, uh, that 70% of all your emissions really come from energy use, whether it's energy for mobility, for, uh, for your uh, electricity needs, for agriculture, for any of uh, any kind of energy demand, all put together, it is uh, the biggest piece of the emissions problem. So from that perspective, we set out to say that, okay, uh, if we have to really address the largest piece of the pie, uh, then batteries is something which uh, becomes, which comes at the center of everything. Uh, from transportation to clean energy storage on the grid and everything else. So we said that, okay, let's uh, let's try to kind of solve for that and uh, uh, where everything else can be done by other people. But I think battery is something which you would pick and kind of go after. And there was a huge gap, right? Uh, because uh, one thing which was like, very, very evident and common across the ecosystem but that none of these batteries which were been designed or kind of developed globally were suitable for the Indian climate and the Indian operating conditions. And it stems from the fact that our average temperatures are significantly higher, uh, which has a significant impact on the battery life and performance, so much so that a battery can do 60% of its life just because it's operating in an average 40 degree temperature versus a 25 degree temperature. So that, that's the level of impact. Uh, and then it also uh, exponentially increases the safety risk associated with these, uh, with these uh, components. 
Uh, at the same time, uh, if you look at the types of platforms that you have, right? If you look at two wheelers or three wheelers or small four wheelers, uh, these are very India unique or Southeast Asia uh, unique or Africa unique kind of platforms, and uh, these are not the platforms which are common in uh, economies where EVs have boomed or EVs have kind of uh, or the EV journey or revolution is uh, more advanced than the Indian vehicles. So it requires a fresh look in terms of what kind of uh, battery stacks. We develop what kind of battery architectures we develop beyond the cell chemistry itself, and how do we manage them on field? Because our usage behaviors, our driver patterns, and everything are also very, very uh, unique and distinct uh, from the westernized world. So that uh, can, that is the kind of gap that we saw, and uh, people are not just really paying heed to that problem. And the idea was that okay, import the cheapest batteries that are available out there, uh, sell it to the customer, keep on uh, focusing on just lowering cost. Uh, through various uh, hacks and measures, whatever can be taken, whether right or wrong, and then uh, it's at the end of the day the problem of the customer. How do they deal with it? And that's what happened with initial EVs, uh, which were put forward in the market, whether for personal use case or for commercial use case. Uh, if you look at the uh, period between 2018 and 2020, 2021, right, a lot of uh, commercial fleet operators have suffered from uh, poor life and reliability of. Uh, batteries in their vehicles so much so that while well, the vehicle was okay to run right the battery just failed within two years two and a half years or even less in that in some cases and then the vehicle was just standing they were not able to pay back the emis for the vehicle uh, they were not able to use it and it was just too costly to buy a new battery out there right so so that that is uh, uh the big challenge and the approach that you uh, which is the old approach of automotive in terms of making a product and just selling and forgetting about it and the customer will deal with everything else. I don't think that works in the EV scenario and uh, that requires a very holistic approach in not just improving the tech, but managing the technology and the product as it goes out, uh, goes out in the market. So Akshay, unlike some of the other companies addressing this problem, you are not creating a closed loop system. You're actually using the CCS protocol um, to charge your batteries. Um, can you talk us through why that decision took place? I think intuitively, I think we all know it's because you get access to it through the whole network that exists. But were you at a fork at one point where you had to decide and, and what was the process you went through to decide on whether you want a closed loop system like Apple or an open loop system like Samsung that allows you to access everything? I think uh, very naturally from a capitalistic point of view, right? If we hadn't seen the, the way things have happened, mobile devices, right? Uh, we would have also probably taken the route of making a closed loop system. But uh, if you look at that journey over multiple couple of decades, right, it has transitioned to more and more standardization and common protocols coming coming our way. Uh, and no matter how much the companies want to make a closed loop system, eventually they have to open up to expand utilization and expand growth of that ecosystem. And even Tesla started with a closed loop system, but now superchargers have been opened up to a larger, uh, so to say, usage base uh, across Ford or other companies and stuff like that. Right, and that was already happening when we had to make that call. Uh, and we decided that it makes more and more sense uh, to kind of leverage the existing public infra uh, because that's the only way utilization can grow on that infra. And uh, never, like in general, the utilization on charging infra has been low, and that has been one of the biggest challenge of for its growth because whosoever is deploying it is essentially losing money. Right. So from that perspective, you really have to make money out of chargers. They have to be above a significant utilization and that's what's just not happening in the ecosystem. And if everybody tries to introduce their own protocol, then uh, nobody will ever reach that kind of uh, parity utilization in that sense. So we really actually, uh, when we took that decision, we even made significant compromises, right? So from that perspective that our batteries can be practically charged in less than 10 minutes time, right? But 
just because a certain amount of power is available on the infra we decided to offer 12 minutes on two wheelers and 30 minutes on three wheelers and 40 minutes on four wheelers while the battery had the capability of all batteries all, all across platforms and the capability of charging in 10 minutes whether that does not that's not uh, really required uh, i think uh, 12 30 and 40 minutes on these respective platforms is pretty good enough as compared to the competition uh, and on and what is available in the market today but at the same time it doesn't require a new infra a new high power charging ecosystem to come around and we can leverage public charging infra itself also one of the more important things to solve for in the fast charging regime regime that we saw and this came from a personal experience right so uh, we uh, got a Uh, MG ZS and uh, one uh, Hyundai Kona early on uh, uh, in the company, right? And as we were trying to use these vehicles, and because uh, fortunately we had DC fast chargers installed in our campus, right? We were always charging these vehicles fast, and th- these vehicles would go back to the workshops every two, three weeks or four weeks, right? Because uh, the the batteries would get disbalanced. So uh, after a while, we started to ask the question that why is it happening? Why is it kind of getting disbalanced and the battery stop uh, stopping to work? So they said that. fast charging is a feature it is not a utility it's a feature that once in a while you have to go out somewhere and you need to pick up quick charge you can do it but doing it every time is not something which is recommended and it uh, significantly affects your battery life it significantly affects the balance of this uh, the, the balancing of the pack itself and you should not be doing it right so that is one thing which uh, we figure that was that's such a misnomer like you cannot claim your battery to be fast charging if customer has to kind of do it just once in a while and he cannot do it every time so uh that was one of the other design features that we brought in that okay uh it is not it is more important to provide consistent fast charging than to kind of keep on reducing the charging time itself uh because if it's once in a while it doesn't really matter and especially as you're building for commercial users uh charging fast is something which which should happen every day and not once in a while kind of a scenario so uh, how do we offer uh, at the same reliability the same life the same performance even when 80% of the times the vehicle is being charged rapidly and uh, not just once in a while so i i guess you're a battery company that is making its own cells and cell packs and then enabling oems downstream to be able to provide their customers a faster charge experience using a public charging network so quite quite an interesting solution that you have here how many oems are you working with already at log9 so we are uh, working with almost 14 15 uh, oems uh, we are uh, available in the market with six of them uh, others we are at different levels of integration over location and design phases uh, the approach that we are taking and also what we as we found more and more of these gaps in the ecosystem that the way the uh, way the organization is building and sh- uh, scaling in sense of a one stop shop for commercial evs Uh, so while we leverage our capabilities on the battery tech side where it's uh, really providing a full stack solution to the end customers primarily fleet operators who are driving the e-commerce growth and the general commerce growth in the indian ecosystem that how do we uh, become a one stop solution provider to them where we are able to advise them what kind of vehicle who which oems vehicle with our batteries should you be leveraging whether how many two wheelers would you need for the service how many three wheelers would you need how many four wheelers would you need and how can you kind of run that uh, entire fleet uh, more 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 and more efficiently and also bringing in uh, uh, the the services in terms of uh, the financing partners the aggregation of charging infra because we have all this data coming in right uh, one thing that we did was we built in significant data layers at our battery pack design itself so uh, we dynamically collect uh, terabytes of data every day from the vehicles on field 
and that gives us not only information of the utilization but also where they are being utilized what is the health of the battery matching it with the digital twins that we have on the cell side on the battery side and then uh, predicting their residual value so it pre- provides a very holistic ecosystem for the end uh, customers which are fleet operators and enables them to focus on what they do best which is managing drivers providing services ensuring that uh, deliveries happen on time and the up times are maintained right so so that is what we have been able to enable and that kind of uh, creates a lot of sort of the customer love which was missing in the ev ecosystem people were really getting wary of using evs and they say okay you know, you, people have shown us very uh, nice happy numbers on excel math that okay this is the tco per kilometer but if the vehicle stops running for 3 days in a month i'm anyway losing all my profit so um these oems that you're working with actually are they uh, two and three wheeler oems or are you already talking to people making cars buses and trucks see uh, our uh, one philosophy or this is that we have in the in the, in the ecosystem is that it's a commercial electric vehicles that make any kind of monetary or climate sense right often in the whole ecosystem of evs and batteries and everything we tend to forget the climate agenda or the primary reason why we set out to kind of electrify everything and that kind of takes a back seat and it's always about features it's always about charging time it's always about range it's always about uh, what is the new fancy vehicle that is coming out there and how can we move more uh, customers with uh, new designs and stuff like that uh, the real sense of doing electric comes from when you're solving for climate and when you are trying when we are able to reduce the cost per kilometer so bring in efficiency so that becomes critical and that that we already see happening in the commercial ev space and absolutely not happening in the personal use case because the utilization of solar the average uh, distance driven by a, a normal indian is 22 kilometers per day right which does not justify any kind of higher upfront cost or higher uh, so to say carbon emissions in the manufacturing process of a battery or a ev right because you will never be able to hit parity with a fuel vehicle with that so from that uh, perspective we focused our uh, solutions towards commercial uh, vehicles whether it's a two wheeler being driven for food deliveries or e-commerce delivery or a three wheeler passenger or cargo vehicle whether it's a four wheeler cargo truck smaller big right or whether it is a bus or uh, heavier trucks later right so any sort of commercial application where at least that vehicle is on average being driven for 100 150 kilometers per day is something which makes sense from a ev perspective and that's that's where we focus on So let's talk about then the um, the value adding to the industry. One of the things that's interesting about your company Log9 is that you are actually making your own cells as well. And the conventional wisdom is um that's done much better in very large companies either in Korea, Japan or China and it's almost commoditized and once you figure out your chemistry and your form factor then import it and do other things with the pack, you know. Think about how you can make your pack more interesting, what software you can add in, BMSs that you can build. But you're actually you've been ballsy enough to say no i'm going to i'm going to make the cell um tell us about the journey that you went through in in saying you know i don't care that i'm facing catl and some of the big boys who put billions of dollars of investment to be the cheapest um that requires a lot of confidence and very good analytics so what was the what was the process you went through actually to take that decision so i think uh, making and developing cell chemistry came naturally for, for us because our genesis was not a ev company but a materials company to start with right and that's how we got into batteries because we could really fabricate electrodes we could make electrodes customize them go into the whole chemistry of it and make it so that's where the journey started 
right? Uh, there is no denying the fact that it's an uphill battle uh, competing with the giants like CATL or Panasonic or Bedi or even a tier two or tier three manufacturer sitting out of China because the scale is just phenomenal over there. Eighty-five percent of a terawatt hour of production globally happens in China, right? Ninety-five percent of our raw material supply chains are coming out of China or linked to China. Right, so it's it's a it's a pretty big task, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's the same kind of uh, challenge for a company in India or a company in Europe or a company in US. It's not like they are uh, too ahead, too far ahead of us, or we are too far behind or we're too late to the party. Right, it, we are all in the same bucket, and uh, it is uh, coming from the perspective that energy security is something which is of significant national importance, and uh, uh, we already have seen where we can we can go. When we depend too much on external soils for our energy needs, which we have done with fuel, and now uh, depending on China for the longer run in terms of our fundamental energy battery demand, uh, I think it's even a worse bit to be falling into, right? So, so that gives us confidence that eventually the policies and everything uh, in the ecosystem will have to align to make sure that uh, we are up in the river in all perspectives and are able to kind of uh, make it work even with uh, the kind of scale that we are up against. Uh, from China in that perspective, and that kind of uh, led the investment from Maharaja Batteries also into Lock Nine. That yes, this is a technology house. We have the scale up capabilities, and that's how that uh, sort of symbiotic relationship has flourished over the years. Uh, and then we are taking it forward from that perspective. So, uh, absolutely right. It is a commoditized play. It is an uphill battle. Uh, it is something which uh, needs a lot of uh, attention to detail in terms of making it work, and a lot of things can go wrong. Right, but uh, that's the challenge uh, we have embraced, and we are kind of working towards. So, can I summarize from that that when when you get to the point of scale, it'll be on the on the shoulders of Amaraja because they'll be able to afford you that scale. Is that the core message? Yeah, so we're working we are working with them uh, for the for the scale part of it. We ourselves are uh, interested in putting up scale on our side, uh, while they have taking a more diversified approach in terms of uh, multiple off takers. Uh, we are looking at bringing our scale once we have. Assured captive demand from our own battery manufacturing and downstream deployment and all of those things. So, so that's how we're looking at it. So, um, what do you think is the future of cell manufacturing in India? I know you guys are, are going to be making cells at a, at a scale. Amaraja has got big plans. Excite has got some plans, and then of course the Tata Group, right. uh, and there's a Japanese joint venture that has some plans, and all of those are supposed to come on stream between 2025 and 26. Um, where do you see this heading? Where, where, what is the future of cell manufacturing in India, from your very learned view? See, uh, we don't have really great tailwinds uh, for, for the sector. Uh, while we do have some policies, like for example, the PLI scheme has come in and has uh, is promising to provide some incentives. Anyway, only kind of a cruise once the production starts, uh, and then uh, we have fame, and uh, we have to figure out how long that fame lasts. And fame also put in that restriction of indigenization. Kind of is increasing with every new fame uh, renewal in that sense that more and more indigenization facilities has to come in. So these things will incentivize, uh, uh, so to say, uh, manufacturing locally. Uh, without these artificial barriers or incentives, uh, competing with the costs that are in China, I think it's impossible. It's not just for anybody producing in India, but it's the same case in Europe, it's the same case in US again, right? So uh, these uh, are something which uh, the country has to drive and say that yes, we are really. Behind local manufacturing happening over here, uh, and a very stable policy pipeline uh, or a policy framework is very very important for this industry. Otherwise, we'll kind of fall into the same kind of a challenge like we did with the solar industry, where initially 
the policy framework was there to promote local manufacturing. Uh, somewhere in the middle, we realized that we are not able to scale enough with the local manufacturing itself, uh, and uh, we opened up the borders for uh, Chinese uh, dumping to happen, and then build the local industry. So those risks loom on the lithium industry as well. Uh, but uh, I think the, uh, the the government is more and more, uh, so to say, pragmatic with this issue this time, and uh, I'm very hopeful that uh, we'll have a stable policy framework. To kind of promote local manufacturing of lithium and batteries. So let's talk about that stable policy framework then, Akshay. What do you hope for, aspire for from the government of India uh, in in terms of this stable policy framework that is, in some forms, a leverage or a protection to ensure that companies that are investing in cell manufacturing in India uh, will be viable. So I think uh, going particularly from let's just address one uh, one piece by. Uh, piece by piece right like if you look at the PLI scheme that is very important uh, for things to make work but as we are looking going ahead in terms of uh, dispersing the PLI incentives or making them work for companies so people who are taking those steps right should be uh, looked at from a perspective that uh, they are doing the right thing they are they're taking significant risk and not from a mindset which is a typical Indian mindset that you are guilty and this proven otherwise Right, so so I think that that becomes very important because it's a very very huge uh, undertaking uh, with a lot of other risks beyond the PLI itself, and uh, government has to be more, so to say, empathetic uh, with respect to the incentives that are being provided on that front. Uh, the second is that uh, there is a lot of expectation to increase uh, BCDs or uh, basic custom duties on the import of cells, like that already happened on battery packs uh, a couple of years back. Uh, so on that perspective. Uh, uh, advanced intimation in terms of what kind of timelines we can look at, right? When those uh, uh, duties be increased and in what fashion and what kind of uh, tiered manner or a one one shot uh, fashion. So what, what will happen on that side? I think a clarity on that front would be important to kind of further boost local industry and give it confidence that sales itself is going to happen. Uh, the third is that I think uh, invest providing incentives once everything is done. Yes, it's okay. Uh, whether, whether it's PLI or whether it's fame or whether it is uh, BCD and all of those protections it's one when you already invest and go forward and kind of make something it kind of grows right uh, but where do you start right uh, uh, for example if you look at uh, whether it is EV or battery manufacturing or whether it is uh, the vehicles itself which are being produced or any of those things they have not still been included in the priority lending sector right and unless and until it comes in over there the banks have no incentive to uh, look at a nascent and a more riskier segment of the larger industry to kind of support it and uh, financing uh, institutions to come in on that side. So, so that has been long due and long pending from that perspective. So I think these are three, four things uh, which I uh, would request kind of happen more. And then a, a, a fundamental issue uh, in our ecosystem, which is about lack of uh, available uh, sort of say grants and funding from the government side for funding research. Uh, which cuts across industries and cuts across sectors in that regard. I think there have been some recent announcements in the uh, Prime Minister's speech uh, regarding creating some corpus around uh, uh, research funding and long-term, uh, very long tenure uh, loans for research uh, investment and all of those things. So I would really love to see it materialize and kind of uh, start shape, taking shape. Quickly. So Akshay, you and Lockdown have been at this uh, almost eight years now. Um, you started with uh, aluminum air batteries and then later moved to lithium-ion. 
Um, I, I, I want to ask you two questions. First is the obvious one, why? What, what was your findings in aluminum air versus lithium ion that took you down this road? And secondly, going back to the Atman Nirbharta, the opportunity to, to be self-sufficient in this space, where do you think the evolution of battery chemistries is going? Does sodium ion look interesting to you? Do you think you go back to aluminum air one day? Or is there something beyond that? you know, that doesn't use precious materials and doesn't need us to rely so much on, on China, even for raw materials. So, uh, if you look at aluminium air, right, I think uh, one fundamental miss that we did uh, with aluminium air in that sense was we got too blinded by the benefits of aluminium air that we couldn't see the fundamental uh, challenge, which was that it is not a technology which can be applied across uh, use cases. Right, very similar to hydrogen fuel cell, right? Uh, and this hydrogen fuel cell is actually going at a much larger capital deployment and uh, hype uh, than we did with aluminium air in that regard. And it's going to end up in a similar soup uh, because fundamental challenge with any kind of fuel cell technology, whether it's aluminium fuel cell or whether it's uh, hydrogen fuel cell, is the efficiency, the end-to-end efficiency, the, the amount of energy that you require to create the fuel, first of all, whether it is uh, creating aluminium from its own or whether it is uh, creating hydrogen from water, right? And finally, what is the energy that you can take out in the vehicle or in the platform is something which is significantly, significantly lower. It's less than 30% and even we have not reached 30% yet. So theoretically, you can go to 30, 35% max, but uh, you cannot reach that limit. And a lot of people argue that things will improve and something will happen all of a sudden. No, this is physical limits. You cannot breach physical uh, theoretical limits and that's where the problem lies. Uh, whereas if you look at batteries, uh, they are as high as 95%, 98% efficient now already. And uh, if you can really make work in applications where you uh, don't really need uh, something which can, once fuel can go for 1000 kilometers, uh, then in that case, batteries uh, become a very, very viable and a very, very energy efficient option in that regard, irrespective of what battery type it is. Right? So that's where uh, fuels and technologies don't really make uh, a lot of sense for mobility applications and people keep on trying hydrogen fuel cell also for three-wheelers and God knows for two-wheeler also and then uh, a lot of bus applications have been done. City buses don't need to go more than 200 kilometers and they don't run more than 200 kilometers. Why do you need a hydrogen fuel cell over there? I can't really just start to fathom why there's so much of uh, push for that. Uh, but at the same time, hydrogen is not something which doesn't really make any sense. It's, it, it does make sense for lot of decarbonization required on the industrial side. A lot of industries, whether it is steel industry, cement industry, right, heavy to abate sectors, that is where hydrogen is the only option or the only option in front of us right now. And it does make sense over there. But not for mobility. Just because you work in hydrogen, you start pushing it everywhere, doesn't really make sense. So we realized that early on and we said that uh, with this kind of uh, energy efficiency levels, neither hydrogen nor aluminium makes sense for uh, the segments which are gaining traction in the Indian market, which is the last mile or the small vehicle platforms at the EV side. And uh, so we said that, okay, uh, uh, we already have a lithium-ion battery as part of the larger aluminum fuel system. We already have developed it and it has features which can solve the existing problems in the market. Why not go ahead and launch it? And that kind of put us in a very uh, different growth trajectory altogether. Uh, in terms of the future of chemistry, the way I look at it, sodium-ion is an interesting concept. Uh, it is something which uh, I believe will gather traction faster than other uh, other alternatives of uh, battery chemistry which are coming up like solid state or others because sodium ion fundamentally doesn't require to change, to infrastructure, change, change of infrastructure 
uh, with respect to manufacturing, coating, electrodes, and all of those things, right? So all you're changing is basically materials uh, and uh, electrolytes and stuff like that. But your overall infra doesn't need to kind of completely get uh, kind of uh, renewed or changed, and the old has to be thrown out. So that kind of eases out the path uh, in terms of GTM uh, for a new, uh, for a new chemistry to come in. Uh, the only uh, thing that has to be seen is that while sodium ion has the potential of uh, providing very cheap batteries, uh, especially for stationary applications, because I think uh, energy density is still a big question mark when it comes to sodium ion, whether it will be able to uh, suffice for a mobility application where you need longer range. Uh, but the challenge really is that lithium ion has seen that cost correction over a three decade period, right? So while sodium uh, fundamentally has cheaper materials going in, but there are a lot of supply chain premiums right now sitting over there. So if you make a sodium ion battery today, it will not, uh, it, is a, a, it will be at least twice as expensive today to make it as compared to a lithium ion battery. Uh, and uh, while it can see that downward curve, but do we really have the patience and that patient capital available in our ecosystem or in the general ecosystem to see that uh, kind of downward trend over the next five, seven years uh, that it will take. So that's those are the kind of uh, risks in terms of sodium ion, but otherwise, uh, I am very hopeful that that chemistry would make a lot of sense uh, from an Indian perspective, stationary energy storage perspective, uh, and uh, there will be a lot of movements in that sector. So you uh, brought up a very interesting term, Akshay. You said patient capital. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of founders like yourself who really hope for having stationary, uh, patient capital. Um, in your journey from 2015 today with all your capital raises, would you say that Log9 has had patient capital on its um, on its investor? I think it just it just doesn't exist in India. <laughs> so you're under pressure <laughs> to get stuff more out on time. Yeah, you have to make you have to make work with whatever is uh, available in your ecosystem. Right? We can always be comparing ourselves from a European or a US setting or a Chinese setting for that matter. But we are here. We have, we have decided to build here. So you have to kind of work around with what's available. So let's talk about your book, Bill, then. You're not a startup anymore. You're a company that's kicking some big goals. Um, how much have you raised in the rounds uh, from 2015 to today? So we've raised uh, close to $50 million uh, in equity so far. Uh, we also have been able to successfully raise uh, some very cost-effective debt, uh, which fueling the company, right? So that's, that's where we are, yeah. And where's the journey from here? Eventually, are you going to be a listed company or... Uh, what's the exit for your uh, investors and what sort of pressures have you got? See, beyond a certain scale, I think in India, uh, the most uh, reasonable exit uh, for investors uh, is through a public listing uh, because uh, we don't really see that large acquisitions happening uh, in the Indian ecosystem uh, unless there is a large player outside India who is willing to come and set up shop and do it in an organic way by acquiring a large player over here. Uh, but those examples are far and few. Uh, so, and also given the nature of the sector, this is not a high burn sector, right? Uh, while a lot of investors do think that it's deep tech, it's hardware tech, and a lot of burn is required, this is nothing, right? Uh, any company doing our revenue scale in the typical e commerce or delivery, or like for example, even Sugi Zomato or where they were when they were doing our revenue equivalent to ours, right? they were burning 10 times more cash, right? It's just that uh, that cash once burned is gone. It, uh, in our case, it just sits at just as tangible and intangible assets on the balance sheet and that's something kind of is different to the way VCs look at it right so so, it's, uh, so from that perspective I think uh, particularly from a public market perspective it is a better story as compared to other high cash burn startups uh, and it's based on more uh, 
fundamental business matrices in terms of assets on the books, the profitability, the margin profile, the EBITDA, and everything. Excellent. Um, you know, we uh, enjoy speaking to many startup founders such as yourselves on this program um, because you bring so much knowledge and clarity in your journeys. But one of the things that has struck me through all of the episodes we've done is most of the smart startup founders we've spoken to are from Bangalore. And so I want to ask you my pet question. What is it about Bangalore that attracts and retains the smartest people in India in the, uh, in, in the energy transition sector? In any sector, I would guess, I think what Bangalore provides is consistent weather throughout the year. So you're not craving about heat and craving about cold half the year other than the, and the other way around. So I think a better uh, environment to work in. Uh, but also what uh, Bangalore provides is that innovation culture. Like traditionally, also if you look at Bangalore, right, uh, Bangalore has uh, been a hub of research and development units, whether governmental or other MECs coming and setting it up here. So that ecosystem exists and uh, that that kind of a network base of suppliers or vendors or, uh, so to speak, talent pool itself naturally exists in Bangalore. Uh, so that is what kind of uh, fuels the growth of the ecosystem. Excellent. Um, my final question then, Akshay, um, what are your aspirations for Log9? Where do you see yourselves five years on from today? I think uh, if you look at the commercial EV market, it's a huge uh, market opportunity. I'm only looking at commercial EVs from that perspective uh, you know, because that's that's where the highest adoption rates exist uh, as well as, from, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it, that is a segment which makes sense from a TCO perspective, from a climate perspective. So we're going after that. Uh, the idea is to kind of expand our offerings in the two-wheeler, three-wheeler, four-wheeler commercial EV space uh, and also work extremely closely with the customer to become that one single, store, uh, single shop partner for them. Uh, where uh, they don't have to worry about the vehicle anymore and all they do is whatever they want to use the vehicle for. Uh, and in that process, uh, the opportunity that we are gunning after is uh, almost $10 billion or more by 2030. And uh, uh, with, with the kind of tech that we are building and with the kind of tech edge that we have in the ecosystem, capturing 15-20% of that market is, I don't think it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a big task, but it's not an impossible task at all. Akshay Singhal, thank you so much for having made time to be on the Energizing India podcast. Uh, uh, wonderful clarity, wonderful direction. I'm sure Log9 is in very safe hands and we look forward to celebrating your many successes over the years to come and also welcoming you back here uh, when you are a unicorn or listed uh, to talk about your journey. Thank you so much. Look forward to that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. I'm your host for this episode, Ravin Mirchandani. But I would not be here without the amazing Energizing India podcast team. Onkar, our podcast director and the man who makes it all happen in the end, much like a big fat grand Indian wedding bringing together the research data and attention to details all in the timelines to get the next episode out on time. Three Vikram, our podcast co-host and head of research and Sunil, who along with me is executive producer of our program. The Energizing India podcast is an Ador Digatron production, giving a voice to the EV industry in India. If you enjoyed listening to us today, make sure to follow us on whatever platform you are listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple iTunes, or our own portal, energizingindia.tv. Thank you very much, and see you on the next episode.